Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 81. Paul Shaughnessy on location. Producer Megan on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line breaking down another round of fights. And of course, this episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit we're gonna save it for the end but the people are clamoring for it cody give us a a little uh a a shibuzi latana chibuzier i i'm sure i'm butchering that name but uh give us a quick update is he in a gym how are things going it's only been a week short period of time but uh the people the people want to know they feel involved in his uh burgeoning career yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm involved in his career now. I want to do everything well, to are. help the guy. But basically, so he has the fight, and then he messages me the very next day being like, you know, I'm sorry I, I disappointed and I feel embarrassed. I'm like, you know, I'm super proud of you, man. But he felt like some type of dishonor, I guess. So probably, like, we shot the show on Wednesday. Maybe by, like, Thursday, he's like, <clears throat> can you get me a fight? Wants to fight again. He's just like, when can I fight next? So I'm like, okay, well, the next, the TBFC card, which is the ones that I was matchmaking for, I was like, it'll be in March. So that's going to give you four or five months to get ready. And we'll go out. He's like, no, it has to be sooner. I'm like, how sooner? This weekend. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. But I'm going to manage this guy. I'm going to slow his roll down. So I got him in a gym. His first class was yesterday. He's going to Action Reaction in, in North York, Toronto. Uh, Olivier Va- Vadne is their head coach, BJJ Black Belt, former pro fighter. Really smart guy, really good guy. So I basically said, listen, I'll sponsor a guy if need be, but have him go to the gym, see if he blends in with the team. They got another guy. He's also Nigerian, six foot two, six foot three. He's four and oh, his name's Fawaz Oliemi. Big, tall, very good striker, very competent ground game as well. BJJ blue belt, but very nice takedowns, very smooth. So in my mind, that's the best guy for him to work with locally. So he had his first class last night and uh, the coach says he's got a long ways to go. Very raw, tons of potential, very raw. And uh, obviously because of the communication barrier, like it's a, it's a project, but that's why I sent him there. Cause I know that Vadney would be up for it and he's a top level guy and he's a young guy. And I'm just hoping the best for him. But uh, I messaged him up afterwards. I'm like, you know, how was your first show? And he's like, he's like, sir, I realize there's a long way for me to go. Need to learn more techniques. So I'm rearranging my schedule so I can attend all the classes. Like he's got the mindset for it. So I'm super excited for what he can do. But that's about the only update. Got him in a gym. Super happy for that. And a lot of people messaged and they were like, you know, does he have a paypal or venmo or any way you could transfer him money like not to my knowledge and i'm thinking at this stage of his career like it's good that we got him in a gym and we've got him some equipment so he's got gloves now he's got actual pair of shorts he's got his own mouth guard so like we're slowly trending in that direction but let's give this guy four five six months of actual training book him a fight and then if people want to pull in and sponsor the guy for the fight and he's got one coming up and help him with all that stuff then let's do that let's do that for sure i was overwhelmed with the amount of people who are like man super awesome story and i want to support the guy and I think that's super cool. So Latana Chibutsi, uh, he's got a long way to go, but I, I think he's very capable of it. I mean, he sounds like one of Dana White's kind of guys that he's just like, I'll fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. Let's give him let's give class. Him, let's <laughs> give him some sprawl training, it sounds like. You know, like mm. I mean, he was able to get out of situations from your description, but 
Um, you well, know, as he moves up the ranks, like it's yeah. going to become even more difficult. Yeah, but, what I uh, noticed with, with these with these super tall guys, right, is that you shoot in on like single legs, but you just can't get them off their feet. They're super tall, so if he can just learn to push the head, be the main thing is push that head away. Don't let them keep up close to you. He can just. I don't know, honestly, he's going to be a problem for a lot of people, but it's it's not a video game. It's just like you can't, okay, let's go to career mode and play a few more rounds and get some more training. And like he's got to do it himself, but he's just got a different mindset than anybody I've ever met. So if anybody's capable of it, I truly do believe it's him. And if he truly believes it's him as well, and he has that inner faith, just seems like he does. He's got that confidence. Um, yeah, the training will go a long way. So he's got the added benefit that Toronto has a ton of great places to train and he he happens to be close to one that's really good. So I think action reaction will be good for him at this stage of his career. And uh, yeah, if everybody wants to follow along to the journey, we'll definitely be uh, posting updates. He's a six foot five welterweight. And the picture you showed, the guy <laughs> is Jack City. And this, I didn't know about those tattoos either, man. Certain, like he, when I took off his shirt, I was like, God damn. God damn. Certain gifts that he's been given that... You know, unfortunately for guys like me and you, we were never going to like, you know, obviously he's got, you know, has other challenges in life. But, you know, physically, guy looks like a specimen, man. So we're all we're all, you know, looking forward to more updates and everything like that. And um, looking forward to his next fight and onwards and upwards from here. But we got UFC Vegas 81 to break down main event. Super Sadiq Yusuf taking on Edson Barbosa, minus 160 for Yusuf, plus 140 for Barbosa. Yusuf, um, he's got like a YouTube channel now. He does like uh, the unprofessional breakdown. It's really, really funny. I've really enjoyed his content. I think he like got injured and that's how he kind of got into the YouTube stuff. Um, I'm not sure what happened in between the Don Shanus fight now, but it's it's been a full calendar year um, since that fight. I'm struggling to to bet him as a favorite here. Edson, of course, a lot of the fights, how do you kind of exploit him? How do you win? It tends to be the wrestlers. If you want to go tit for tat with this guy on the feet, you're going to be in, in for a hell of a war. Um, you know, he was on obviously on a bit of a losing streak, but last time out, came out, gets the first round uh, knockout of Billy Q., and uh, yeah, if you're any time that you're spending on the feet with Edson Barbosa, the guy has fought literally everybody on earth. Um, I think Yusuf had, I know Yusuf trains with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guys, but he's mostly a striker. That's mostly his game plan. Maybe he's going to pull some tricks out of the bag that we haven't really seen in too many of his other fights, but I got to go dogger pass in this main event. What about you? Yeah, I'm actually thinking the same thing. Edson Barbosa, you can definitely say he's inconsistent. And at this stage of his career, a little bit older, the results are pretty inconsistent. But he fights everybody. And he fights the best competition available. He always has. He's fought the best competition at 55. He's fighting the best competition at 145. And he still has inconsistent results. But the fact that he's capable of winning at that level still does mean something. A guy should have slowed down many, many years ago, but he's still as fast as ever. That Billy Q fight really did show that. Uh, combination striking, those big leg kicks, the power. Billy Q is one of these durable fighters, grindy fighters that can take a beating, withstand a beating. In fact, one of his best characteristics is that oftentimes he will take a beating early. And just works his way back into it. But with Barbosa, is like he's got that ability to throw up the knee. He's got the kicks. He can got spinning techniques. Whatever you name it. He's got the Terry Adam knockout is the probably the second nastiest knockout I've ever seen in my life. 
outside of Joaquin Buckley versus Impic and Sanganai. Like he's got that flash, but he's also got those bread and butter techniques, nasty left hook, big leg kicks, demobilizes opponents. You've seen him withstand some of the nastiest beatings in the game, like him and Tony Ferguson, him versus Khabib, you know, him versus uh, Michael Johnson, like just so many beatings. And yet he's never regressed. He's never really slowed down. You see pictures of him right now online, and a lot of the fans are like tagging Usada in and being like, what is going on here? Like, Paul, he is shredded. He's always been shredded. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's a consummate professional. He's got a lot of backflash. So when you consider the level of competition he's fought, the fact that he's still hanging around at this stage, that in itself is super meaningful. So to Yusef is more of, you know, he, he looks pretty, right? But the realistic stats are he's fought in the UFC for five years. He's been employed by the UFC, right? In those five years, he's only fought seven times. Largely, he's been banged up. He's dealt with a plethora of injuries. The competition that he's fought, pfft. Suman Mokhtarian, never won in the UFC, absolute crap. Shaman Marias, durability issues, yet still went to 15 minutes with him. Gabriel Benitez, never cracked the top 15, maybe a fringe 20 guy. Andre Feely did crack the top 15, but a fringe 15 guy. Arnold Allen, his first real step up. Arnold Allen's a tough guy. Most definitely top 10, realistically, top 5. Arnold Allen, see, it's a good fight. So did Yusef's having most of the moments throughout the rounds. He's beating him to the punch. His striking looks crisp. He has excellent Muay Thai. But Arnold Allen's landing the one big shot, and it's rocking him. He does land one clean knockdown. At the end of the second, I believe it's a head kick that's blocked, causes him to do the stanky leg. That means something to the judges. That's why Arnold Allen wins that fight. Three-round fight, but it's the big moments. He wasn't taking damage against him. See, that's interesting to me because Allen's really the one big step up. The other guys, yeah, he's going to beat Gabriel Benitez, who rocked him a few times, you know, got through. Andre Feely gave him a fight. Like, these guys, they're not power punchers, per se. Arnold Allen is not a power puncher, per se, but that was the one step up in competition. And although he had moments, the bigger shots were landed. And to me, I'm not fully sold on his durability. Now, the long layoffs and the injuries, and he's not able to compete actively. So it's like there's a lot of red flags here. But because you're not seeing him fight top-level competition, you can't firmly say, yeah, this guy's got a great chin. This guy's got great cardio and push. This guy can lose around and come back. He just hasn't really had to do it. So the win over Bruce Leroy, it's still pretty competitive. By the numbers, he gets outstruck by Bruce Leroy, 66 to 64. They both scored a takedown. And that takedown was Sodi Youssef's first and only in the UFC. He rocks a 12% takedown accuracy in the UFC. So to your point, the key to beating Edzard Barbosa, 100%, why would you want mm-hmm. to stand with this guy? Are you looking to go to the hospital with a concussion? Even if you win, you are risking some serious damage if you want to stand up. Take him down. Everybody takes him down. But I, I, Sodi Yusef's got a better ground game. He's got excellent submissions. He's, I think he's pretty sure he's a BJJ black belt and he's a former Lloyd Irvin guy. He's got good chops. I just don't think he's got the wrestling to get him there necessarily. So now he needs to strike with them. <clears throat> These are the times that he's fought 15 minutes in his career. Him versus Shaman, he landed 73. Him versus Feely, he landed 73. Him versus Bruce Leroy, he lands 64. Him versus Arnold Allen, he lands 47. So from those four fights, there's a contender series fight against Mike Davis, whatever. That's almost six years ago at this point. From those four fights in the UFC that have gone the distance, he's landing at best of 73. Now, Barbosa, some of his fights, he's a little conservative waiting for the big shot. But when he lets loose, like the Dan Hooker fight or 
the Shane Burgos fight, like when he lets his hands go and he lets his strikes fly, he's more than capable of throwing up tons of volume and tons of power. So I'm not necessarily sure that Sodik Yusuf is capable of handling either of those things. He could get swarmed with the volume, but also if anything gets through, I'm not I'm not fully convinced his durability is going to hold up or his chin's going to hold up. Could be like the Allen fight where something gets through and he does a stanky leg. Even when Barbosa lost to Kevin Lee, remember? He lost four of the five rounds. But that fourth round is like a spinning wheel kick clips Lee in the top of the head and Lee just almost goes down. Like he's dangerous throughout. He's fought five rounds a bunch of times. Those are all advantages for him. And he's the underdog. So yeah, yeah. Dogger pass on the main event. I'm going to take the underdog. So I'm with you. We're on the same page. I just bet Edson Barbosa while you were talking. Cause I was just like, I, I had a one, uh, one plus one forty two. I was just like, I don't know. Other people are probably seeing it the same way as me. The number was like plus 150 yesterday. It's creeping down closer to a pick em. Um, I would consider I, I would expect any 140s to kind of be gone by the time we get to Saturday. Uh, moving on down, we got Jennifer Maya taking on Viviani Arujo, minus 150 for Maya, plus 130 for Arujo. Who do you got here? Yeah, this is a greasy fight that could either could go either way, right? Viviana Arroyo, I think at her best. She's got better skills. She's faster than Jennifer Maya. She's got, you know, cleaner technique than Jennifer Maya with the striking. Physically, Maya is definitely strong, but I think Vivio Royal's just got the better technique. Therefore, she has to use less strength to make things work for herself. But that's her at her best. Most often, she's not necessarily at her best. She tends to gas out. That's the one worry to me. I'm hoping she corrected it, which is why I'm going to pick her. But her debut against Toledo Bernardo, she got the third round finish against Alexis Davis. Gasses in the third, loses it. Jessica I, gasses, ends up losing that fight. Montanda LaRosa, gassed in the third, lost the third round. It became a trend for her. But but luckily, two-fight losing streak, she did look a lot better in her last couple. She looked okay against Caitlin Chikagian. She put up uh, 89 significant strikes, landed a takedown. None of that's easy on Chikagian. Chikagian moves a lot. So being able to land 89 significant strikes against her, is something. The one takedown, still pretty good as well. Loses the fight, but didn't gas out. Her fight with Andrea Lee, didn't gas out. She went five rounds with Alexa Grosso, landed 126 significant strikes and two takedowns. Was competitive mm-hmm. against Alexa Grosso, the current champion. Did a lot of good work in that fight. and didn't gas out, and it was a five-round fight. And then her last fight against Amanda Hebus, Hebus was just faster than her. Like I think she relies a lot on her athleticism to get by in these fights. She fights mostly plotting-type fighters, which Jennifer Maya is. And she can get away on being the superior athlete. But he was just was, I don't know, had the better footwork, stayed to the outside, outlanded her, mixed in the takedowns. Good performance by Hebus. I can't take that away from her. So what I got with Vivian Arroyo is someone who at her best is capable of tying it all together and springing the, uh, the win here. Uh, I just need her to be sharper and win those first two rounds. Maya has won her last two fights and has looked actually pretty good. Wins against Marina Moroz, lands well over 100 significant strikes. Wins her next fight against Casey O'Neill, which was her last one, lands well over 100 significant strikes. The difference to me is those are kind of like fighters with flaws still working it out. Moroz is fairly one-dimensional boxer, doesn't mix in the kicks a whole lot, doesn't like a whole lot of pressure, can't really rely on her, her grappling for the most part, unless she's fighting, you know, very weak level of competition. Casey O'Neill, meanwhile, is a very young fighter, very green fighter, needs to go out there and learn a lesson. Jennifer Maya is a savvy veteran who once competed for the title. So I, I, I can see Maya teaching that that lesser fighter a, a lesson. I just feel like Arroyo at her best, which I'm hoping she is, 
is faster. She's going to stay to the outside. She's capable of landing similar volume. But the difference is, is that she's able to get the takedown. And if she can mix in the takedown, that's going to be key. Because if you look at Vivi Arroyo, she landed two against Alexa Grosso, which is nice. Three against Andrea Lee. One against Caitlin Jukagian. Four against Roxanne Monteferi. Two against Jessica I. Two against Alexis Davis. Three against Toledo Bernardo. That, to me, is the difference. Is Don't just strike with Jennifer Maya the whole time. Strike with her for a period of time. Use that speed. Beat her to the punch, land a couple eye-catching shots, then mix in that takedown, steal the round for two of the three rounds. And this thing's ah, almost certainly going 15, in, in my opinion. I'm wrong all the of time, course. but in my opinion, this thing's probably going 15. So just win two of the three rounds and coast if need be. I don't care. She's capable of doing it. So that's what I'm that's what I'm gonna bank on here. And uh I'll take a royal. Am I super confident in it? No. You gotta make a pick. So I'll go with Vivi. Ugh. I got to make a pick too, but like, this is not a fight that I actually intend on betting. You make a lot of good points there. And I was going, and I'm so going to lean towards the pick of Jennifer Maya, just based on volume. The fact that in three round fights, she was yeah 109 and 145 in her last two fights. She's ramping up that volume. You make some really good points about the takedowns though. And the biggest, I think I was on Casey O'Neill uh, by decision against Maya in that last fight. And the biggest head scratcher of that entire fight is that Casey O'Neill only shot for one takedown the entire time. Didn't even test that. Just kind of was happy to hang out at range, have a close striking matchup. It's like if Viviani can stick to that type of game plan, can get a few takedowns, seal some or steal some rounds. You get, the, These days though, like just getting the takedown isn't anything you need. Lots of control time. And you need to be throwing down some shots from top position. So definitely factor that in. The judging has definitely shifted in the last year or so. Um, you know, guys like my old, my boy Khabib and some of the Dagestanis, they've even had to kind of adapt their game. Because it's like judges, if, if you're just holding top position, you know, you're not going to really get rewarded these days. I'll lean towards Jennifer Maya. That she's able to keep it outright, wins an incredibly close fight on the scorecards. I very much expect this to go to decision. I mean, it's minus 450 to the over two and a half. Um, that's about as wide as you'll ever get. I mean, what the Jennifer Maya's last like 10 fights have all went to decision. Like, there's probably value on the over two and a half. Not that I'm gonna really be mucking it up with that play, but uh yeah, I, I'm going to go with just continuation of the volume for Jennifer Maya. Maya, by decision, is probably not even improving your price all that much. Yeah, her by decision is pretty much pick them. Yeah, minus, minus 105 plus 100. Um, yeah, I think this is it's probably just a stay away fight in general for me, but I'll ever so slightly lean towards Maya. Sorry, guys. We're kind of, <laughs> we're pretty split on this one, but rightfully so. It, sh it should be a very, very close fight. Moving on down, we've got Jonathan Martinez taking on Adrian Yanez. Minus 130 for Martinez, plus 110 for Yanez. Who you got here? Yeah, so honestly, and I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to fight or bash. I'm not trying to shit on a guy. It's like, I'm just always trying to compare to like with things in actuality compared to who's hot. Because a lot of times you get these fighters, they're hot. It's a hot prospect. He's got a lot of things going for him. And the marketing machine jumps right behind him. And as such, 
fans jump behind him. So we kind of talked about a little bit in the main event with Sodiq Youssef. The, the competition level isn't actually there. He's looked good against some lesser guys. He struggled in that step up. Adrian Giannis, to me, is the same thing. The kid's talented. The kid's got a bright future. But they just jumped right on him, and they jumped right on him hard. Now, keep in mind, uh, he beats Brady Huang and Victor Rodriguez, beats Gustavo Lopez with a third-round knockout, and then draws Randy Costa. Big favorite over Randy Costa. There was already, like, charts. The UFC's promoting him as some of the best boxing in the UFC. They rank him as, like, the fifth-best boxer in the UFC. So slick, so slick. So slick, he's fought Brady Huang, Victor Rodriguez, and Gustavo Lopez. So slick. So the, the Randy Costa fight, I'm guilty of this as well. I wouldn't have me on Adrian Yanez because he does look very slick. He does look very competent. But it's easy to look good against guys that aren't testing you. It's how do you fare as you move up the ranks. Believe me, I work with a lot of amateurs. Man, this guy looks good. How is he going to do as a professional? How's he going to do five fight pro, uh, five fights in? How's he going to do when he has to travel to the States and fight some D1 wrestler? There's levels to it. Yanez against Costa is a greasy fight. Costa's not very good. Costa's no longer employed with the UFC. But, man, he touches him up with the jab. Not only that, he would land the jab. Um, Randy uh, would set up the high kick off of it, right? So you had Adrian Yanez would slip off the jab into these high kicks. Blocked a whole lot of them. But got out of hustle. Lost the first round. Second round, Costa, as Costa almost always does, he gasses out. Once he gasses out, Yanez knocks him out. But, for the record, he got outstruck 66-64 to 64 by Randy Costa in that fight. And to me, that was like the first signs of like, oh, man. Maybe this kid's not foolproof yet. Long ways to go. The Davy Grant fight's another great example. Davy Grant hung with them the entire time. The striking stats was 100 to 98 in favor of Adrian Yanez. It's a split decision. Davy Grant, not really like, like, like a skilled guy, a talented guy, but like more of just rugged. Like he's a come forward, rugged type guy. That's kind of his one thing. He's not an excellent striker. He's not an excellent grappler. He's just a willing participant that's willing to get in there and make it a tough scrap for him. Again, Yanez. Show there, 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 there's signs of cracking apart, and then so that last fight with Rob Font, I believe you were on the same page, but we faded him in that fight because Rob Font's one of these guys that's fought all the best guys, he's a much superior fighter, at least what he's shown. Yanez is young, is he bright? Sure, but man, Font put a beating on him, and again, it was the same thing. Font came out aggressive, he used the jab, he set the traps. Yanez falls into these traps when he's trying to slip, and then it, I don't know when his durability is all that good. Because this is the same Rob Font that hasn't knocked anybody out in three years. And this is the same Rob Font that landed 176 significant strikes on Cody Garbrandt. And didn't knock out Cody Garbrandt. So he's not really known for his power. He's one of the slickest strikers you'll see. But he's not really known as like a power puncher. And he just mauled right through Adrian Yanez. So to me, there's issues there for sure. Now with Jonathan Martinez, durability issues, maybe they were questionable for him as well. This fight with Davey Grant. He starts off well, he ends up getting caught. That same Davy Grant, that's just tough and rugged. It makes it a fight. But since there, man, I mean, he spent a lot of time Factory X. He's at altitude. His cardio has improved. I think he's just got a lot more season. And he's a really adequate slick striker. He's got an excellent jab. He's got excellent kicks. And to me, those are two weapons that Giannis seems to struggle with. So I think it's two excellent strikers. But ah, you know what? It's not two excellent strikers. I think Jonathan Martinez is an excellent striker. And, and Adrian Giannis is a fine striker. He's a fine striker. We all believed him to be an excellent striker, but he's still got a lot of ways to go. And they're doing him no favors here. They're not saying, oh, he just lost to Rob Font. Let's let's build him back up again. Let's get him that confidence going. Let's add to his highlight reel. They're throwing in the ring against Jonathan Martinez, who's on a five-fight winning streak. 
Debatable win in his last time out against Saeed Nurmagomedov, but all the same, he just beat Saeed Nurmagomedov. He beat Cub Swanson, who he absolutely torched to bits, because there's levels to this again. And Cub Swanson is a fine striker. Cub Swanson just greased one out over Hakeem Dewadu in a pure striking battle. Cub Swanson still got something left in him. Martinez absolutely butchered him to bits. It was non-competitive. He hurt him to the body. He hurt him to the legs. He hurt him to the head. He did everything that you could do to somebody to absolutely systematically break them down. Jonathan Martinez is legit. That same type of striking against Adrian Yanez, Yanez isn't going to take that beating. He's not shown that he's able to take that beating. He's not shown that he's able to really come back. I guess he lost the first round against Costa and came back, but that was due to Costa completely gassing out. So... Yeah, I'm talking too much about this fight. Bottom line is I think Jonathan Martinez either catches them with something or just outworks them for two of the three rounds. Yanez is a good fighter. If you're a Yanez fan, it sounds like I'm shitting on him. I do apologize because I feel like I'm shitting on him. I don't mean to. Fine fighter. I just don't love the matchmaking for a young guy. They should build him up slowly. Instead, he gets Rob Font and then gets Jonathan Martinez as a comeback. Like, is it a winnable fight for him? Sure. Everything's a winnable fight. It's just... It's going to be a tough fight. I don't know that he's ready at this point. Whereas Martinez, five-fight winning streak, fighting good guys. He's ready for this. He deserves this. He just needs to go out there and perform now. And I would say the one thing that, like, Yanez hasn't really been tested on is the grappling. Nobody's really tried to take him down. And, like, Martinez isn't some sort of world-class wrestler. I think he's just a little bit more seasoned, a little bit more well-rounded at this stage in his career. So I can understand why this fight was a pick him yesterday. People are coming in on Martinez because maybe he can mix in that wrestling a little bit early on and kind of, you know, take away some of the sting of that boxing uh, from Yanez. But yeah, you go through like Yanez's previous fights. Obviously, the font fight was done way too quick. Nobody really tried to wrestle. But like Tony Kelly only tried it one, like only tried to take him down once. Uh, Costa... I mean, that was just absolute chaos in both rounds. Bang. You know, round one, he came. I mean, Costa does what Costa does, which is he just comes out just flailing hands. He's just like, I'm either going to get rid of you in this first round or you're going to get rid of me in the second round. It's fun like, to watch. It was a very, yeah, yeah. very, very fun, fun fight. Uh, yeah, literally, like you go through like all of his previous fights. Nobody's even trying to take him down um martinez i think could probably mix that in a little bit and maybe seal some rounds and um make it a little greasy the only yeah the only struggle with martinez is uh the volume definitely isn't there like he doesn't really have too much you know 100 point upside or 100 significant strike upside which is what yanez did against davy grant to ever so slightly um edge that one out but uh yeah sorry one sec yeah yeah 100 to 98 Yanez versus Grant split decision super close like uh, Martinez hasn't really shown us an ability but he kind of has like the wide stance stays at distance uses his kicks to kind of maintain distance um I think it'll kind of come down to like kicks versus strikes and if he if Martinez can kind of when he's not all the way in chasing maybe the odd takedown stay on the outside and just kind of throw kicks and the boxing of Yanez will be irrelevant from that range. So I'm with you. Jonathan Martinez is the pick moving on down. We've got Michelle Pereira taking on Andre Petrosky minus 200 for Michelle uh, plus 170 for Andre Petrosky kind of like a striker versus grappler. Obviously this is at 185 uh Pereira coming in heavy uh against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson that fight gets scrapped but 
obviously the promotion's like, bro, you are massive for 170 and you're showing that you're not capable of making it. I've never been a Petrovsky guy. Um, and in fairness to him, it's been like a lot of his fights. He's been like minus 300, minus 400 favorite. Um, I will give him some credit. It's like there's been spots where it seems like he's getting really, really tired. That he's not going to be able to continue. And then he's got like third round finishes. So, yeah, he has a weird way of showing his the energy that he's still got in the tank. You know, Pereira is my guy. Um, the move up to 185 is a little bit concerning. Nobody has really been able to, nobody's really stuck to a wrestling heavy game plan against him. So maybe this is where he gets super exposed. But uh, I mean, outside of your boy, uh, what was, what was the guy? He basically retired. That was the win of his career. You picked Justin Connolly, yeah. Justin yeah. Connolly. Yeah, yeah. That, that was crazy. That, that was a while ago, and, and a lot of those takedowns were just Michelle Pereira was fighting just so YOLO, right? Just like putting himself in bad positions that he doesn't seem to be doing anymore. He's fighting a lot more fundamentally sound. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I probably feel like it's a better fight to bet live because it's one of those spots that I'm always kind of – with this, like moving up a weight class, taking on a guy who's going to grapple, it's like you're going to probably know like how much of an edge does Andre have in the grappling department. You're going to know that probably pretty early. Like if he shoots a takedown super, super early, gets him to the ground pretty fast. Maybe you don't get the plus 170, but if it looks easy enough, you know, he's going to be sticking to that game plan. I'm going to pick Pereira. I think that his body was always set for being 185 pounder 170 obviously you know he next near killed himself to get to that and i'm just like a diehard fan i kind of want the crazy guy to come back i don't intend on betting minus 200 on michelle Pereira, but i'll pick him for sure what about you yeah minus 200 is a tough price tag to get behind for sure because it's michelle Pereira, and uh yeah he used to be an absolute fool and run off the cage and do crazy moves and break dance the whole way down to the cage and do somersaults and backflips and gas out now, how much of that is he an idiot? And how much of that is tough weight cut? Probably both, man. So him conserving energy, which he's been doing in his last couple fights, good. But that there's no power anymore. Like, he's not finishing guys. He's mostly just going through the motions and outpointing them and winning positionally. But him at 185 is certainly interesting. How would he fare at 185? Well, he's actually fought tons of fights at middleweight prior to coming to the UFC. If you go back all the way to 2017, He's fighting all these guys. Carlos Pereira, catch weight of 176, real kill 176. Uh, Dusko Todorovic, 185 pounds. Wong Su Choi, 188. Da Sung Kim, 204. Then he signs to the UFC. So here's a guy that probably walks around at 195, close to 200 pounds, and he comes into the UFC at 170 pounds. Yeah, I think he was killing himself, dude. He's cutting 30, 35 pounds to make weight. And then going out there and trying to perform. So a little bit difficult. Him at 185, again, he's done it before. He's still only 30 years old. I've only always found that shocking about him is that he's fairly young still. It's not crazy to think that 85 is where he should be and he could be okay here. But at minus 200, I'd like to see it first. I don't want to bet it at minus 200 and then see after the fact, oh, yeah, geez, he's a little too small for this weight class. Oh, geez, his 92% takedown defense, his rock solid takedown defense his only guy to ever take him down Santiago Ponzinibbio held him down for 18 seconds takedown mm -hmm. defense maybe it's not as good at middleweight Paul that that is a fair question to ask 
But I'm thinking this guy's hard as shit to take down. And that's one thing nobody ever really talks about. And they talk about the craziness. They talk about, you know, the physicality. But, like, his takedown defense is always checked out. His ability to not really get handled outside of maybe the Tristan Connolly fight where he missed weight, came in at 172, had no corner, botched the weight cut, and gassed out. That's going to happen. At 185, you have to worry about that less because he probably didn't have that bad of a weight cut. He's probably got tons of energy. You might see the return of some of these flying knee techniques, these hook uh, these hook kick techniques, some of that that wild stuff he would bring to the table beforehand because he might have a little bit more energy. But Michelle Pereira, I certainly don't mind. Petrosky, meanwhile, Petrosky's got two third-round finishes and two decision wins in the UFC, and yet... I think he's got no cardio, man. He gasses out almost every single time. He's a former collegiate wrestler. He's built like a brick shithouse. He's a BJJ black belt. He's got competition experience in jiu-jitsu. And definitely it translates to the, to the UFC. His first two wins in the UFC, he took down his opponents uh, four times each. Bottom of the barrel level of competition, but got the four takedowns. The third fight, Nick Maximoff tries to take him down. And he just catches him in a quick anaconda. Outside of that, you see him get to what he tries to do every single time, and that's get his wrestling going. Takes Wellington Terman down eight times. But outside of that, only landed 41 significant strikes, not a whole lot of submission attempts, not a whole lot of positional changes. He just got the eight easy takedowns. And then in his last fight against Gerald Mearshart, he's gas, man. Mearshart could have won that fight, didn't win that fight, got knocked down. But Petrosky's like hanging on by a thread. I'm just really worried that as he moves up the ranks, someone's eventually going to stop his little five-fight winning streak. And I feel like Michelle Pereira is probably that guy. Why that being said? Because it really comes down to that takedown defense. Petrosky needs the takedowns. He gets takedowns in all of his fights. He's live or die by the takedowns. And he'll try them a whole lot. Pereira, traditionally, has never been taken down. Only one guy's taken him down and he couldn't hold him down. So if he's able to stuff the Petrosky takedowns, then even though he's a fairly low-volume guy, and his power is kind of diminished a little bit. Uh, he's just a marginally better striker. He'll probably have to spend a lot of time with his backup against the cage. But as you mentioned earlier in the show, judges aren't necessarily just going with control time anymore. If Pereira lands some sick shit, hurts him, or even just lands a flashy kick, or just lands a couple decent punches and spends a few minutes with his backup against the cage, I just got to trust that the judges will get it right. So Petrosky is not blowing out these opponents in striking numbers. He's blowing them out in takedowns in control time. And again, as you're seeing lately, they're not necessarily scoring takedowns in control time as much as they are volume and damage, which should favor Pereira. So the takedown defense is on point. He's the better striker, and this is going to be a striking battle. And he actually does have the better cardio because he's been pacing himself lately. He's shown he can fight 15 minutes. At 185, it should be even better for him. And I don't know. You could talk yourself in circles on this fight. It's Michelle Pereira. He's a 50-50 guy, and they want you to pay minus 200 on it. Your best option is to pass on this. I can see excellent points for the dogger pass, but I I tend to go with who I think is going to win the fight. And I think Michelle Pereira is going to stuff the takedowns, land the better shots, and grind this thing out. I don't love the price tag, but I will take Michelle Pereira. And yeah, the, I mean, the best the best thing to do was obviously the opener. Openers don't really count. But yesterday, like when I first made these boards, it was minus 150. So people came and moved the, the whole damn market across. So they're seeing a lot of the same things as us. Now that it's moved to minus 120 or minus 200, sorry. I, yeah, I just don't know if there's very much value or meat on the bone. But and yeah, to go back to the uh, Tristan Connolly fight. Tristan Connolly actually went 0 for 4 on takedowns there, but Pereira did stupid stuff, which forced so him, stupid. To, yeah, so stupid. <laughs> like jumping, 
jumping wheel kicks and stuff like that to land on his back and then gave up, you know, three minutes and 43 seconds of control time in round three when he was super, super gassed and two <laughs> minutes in round one. So it's like he's doing a lot less of that stupid stuff that would make him spend time on his back. So it's going to have to come down exclusively to Petrovsky's ability to wrestle. I mean, I bet Gerald Mearshart against Petrovsky last time out, and it was a split decision. It was close. Petrovsky, you know, was was eating some hands from from GM three. I don't know if he can eat those same hands against a striker with the the capabilities of Michel Pereira. I do expect this probably to go the full 15 though. So if I was going to bet on this fight, the over two and a half rounds at minus 105 doesn't seem too bad to me, to be perfectly honest. We'll be quick on this next one because we already broke down this fight. And frankly, it uh it, it played out you know, the ref, the ref should not have been overruled there. Edgar Charez taking on Daniel Lacerda, minus 380 for Charez, plus 315 for Lacerda. I keep watching that replay, Cody, of that finish. Me and you actually watched that one or that that card together. It was uh, UFC Noche, the uh, the Mexican uh, themed UFC night. Yeah, a, mo- a month ago. <laughs> yeah, a month ago. Um, I mean, I think I forget who the ref is off the top of my head now. I guess maybe it's like you know, just uh, just I, I blocked it out for whatever reason. But I think he did a perfect job. When you're when you're in a choke, you're up against the cage, and your arm goes limp after the ref is trying to hold your arm. It goes completely limp. What is he to ex- uh, to expect or think? But besides, I better stop this fight because I think this guy has lost consciousness. Like they're trying to protect people. I was shocked when they overturned it because, like, you watch that replay and it's just like, I think the ref did an absolutely perfect job there. Um, for whatever reason, they did not. They uh, were, were in a situation where they're running it back here. I mean, Lacerda got lucky because that was that was the last fight. Like, well, he's 0-4 in the UFC. He was going to be 0-5. He does, has shown up in a lot of his other fights and had really, really exciting performances, hence why he's getting all these opportunities. But I think we kind of saw there. Lacerda was trying to slow down his pace, fight a little bit more cautious, and he still ended up getting himself in tons of trouble um i i think charez is the the rightful favorite it's super super chalky but it's gonna be i imagine pretty high up on your parlays this week so charez for me what about you yeah this one cost me a lot of money the last time out for the simple fact of the no contest because we had a bunch of tickets with charez on it and when we got the no contest it's a push they pull it off your ticket, lost so much potential value. But yeah, I thought it was going the way we thought it was going to go. Like the thing with Lacerda is, again, he's an all-action entertaining fighter. Maybe that's why the UFC's kept him on the roster. Couldn't really tell you. But again, everything is fast. His fight with Jeff Molina, he gets knocked out 46 seconds into the second round. His fight with Francisco Figueredo, the shitty figgy. He gets he gets knee barred a minute and 18 seconds into the first round. Like what's going on here? Victor Altamoreno. Victor Altamoreno knocks him out in the first round. You don't see a whole lot of knockouts in the first round of flyweight. But yeah, well, Lacerda's either like do or die, and he ain't doing in the UFC, baby. CJ Vergara just breaks him down. That one, at least he made it four minutes into the second round. But like he not making it to no third round. And then, of course, with Edgar Charles. So again, you know he's going to come out fast. He's going to come out furious. And then the last fight, they'll, they'll say, oh, he was pacing himself. He was pacing himself. He was trying to pace himself, and he was getting outstruck. He was getting outstruck 12 to 4. So standing on the outside and being patient, 
It wasn't working. That's what caused him to be like, you know what? I need the takedown. Gets the takedown. Nice little takedown too. Can't take that away from him because Charles is a three to one favorite here. So takedown defense, not all that good, truth be told. But all the same, his jiu-jitsu, pretty good. He stays in all of those, he gets out of all those positions, works his way up, gives about a minute 20 of top control up and immediately gets back up. And then of course, Lacerda just shoots the second one and then boom, catches the submission. Or submission, he never actually submitted, but he catches the choke. Now, I saw what you saw. It looks like his arm goes limp. The referee should have still taken the arm and shaked it. Who cares if he's out an extra half of a second, an extra second, right? But it did look like his arm went limp. He was trying to communicate with him. I thought if Charez doesn't get this choke, well, two scenarios. Scenario A, which you and I agree on, he did get the choke. Scenario two, he doesn't actually get the choke. He's not going anywhere. Here's a guy that's tough, who's rugged, who has three-round cardio. In fact, this fight prior to this one, Charez, uh, sorry, he went full. Versus Tyra. Three, yeah, three full rounds of Tyra. The fight before that one, he won the Fury FC title, uh, choking out Gianni Vasquez in the fourth round. Cardio is not a problem for him. Cardio is a problem for Lacerda. So what if Lacerda escapes that guillotine choke? Was the striking suddenly going to get better for him? Because he was getting outstruck 12 to 4 up until he shot his first takedown because he knew he was getting outstruck. And then did he do anything with that takedown? No. In fact, the other guy got, got right back up and then Sharad snags him up in a choke. So again, this thing was... All all I'm saying is if he didn't get that choke, the fight was just going to continue to go. And the longer it continued to go was going to favor Charez. And so this is the same thing. Do I think Lacerda is fast and explosive and could land a big shot early? Yeah, that's what he does, right? He's had no success doing it in the UFC, but that is how he fights. And in theory, if he's coming out like a man on fire, he could land something, sure. Do we know that he can get a takedown? Yeah, he got a takedown a month ago fairly easily. I think he could do it again. It's that what does he do with the takedown, Paul? He showed nothing. He showed he couldn't hold him down for longer than a minute and a half, and he wasn't able to advance position on him. And if he shot a second and a third and a fourth takedown, his cardio would be running on zero because he's not a, gar a cardio guy. He's not a natural wrestler. He's not a natural grappler. He decided to revert his strategy because it wasn't working. We'll talk about Terrence McKinney later. There's one thing that works for you, and there's one thing that don't. And when you try to switch them from what is natural to you to fighting somebody else's game plan because that's what Twitter tells you to do, like it's just not going to work. So Lacerda needs to come out like he normally does. Man on fire. Hot. For three minutes and hope he catches Charez. But we've had this discussion many times. Mexicans can take one hell of a punch. Charez has one hell of a chin. And his submission defense, he went he went 15 minutes with uh, Tatsu Atara, who was on his back for like the vast majority of it. Yeah, I'm not super concerned with him getting finished in the first three minutes, truth be told. So this thing plays out longer and Charez gets to him. Top ticket? Yeah, probably. Close to, if not on the top, on the second ticket. I would rather go second ticket because... Again, Lacerda is just a madman. He he's, he could land anything. But but there are levels to this, and he was a madman on the Brazilian regional scene. He's a madman when he fights lesser competition. At the UFC level, he's had virtually no success. I don't expect him to suddenly pick up his first win here. So he should be 0-5 in the UFC, but he's 0-4 in a no contest, and he's soon to be 0-5 in a no contest like it's a terrible run even Sam Alvey at least won fights prior to the skid you know this guy's had no success at this level I, I don't yep. think it starts here I think Charles has got his number I agree I think there's just it, the, the path to victory for Lacerda is getting that finish and yeah the grappling is obviously on point for Chires and he's Mexican 
it's pretty much impossible to knock Mexico. It's actually a good combination, is, you know, Mexican is, with no. grappling skills. It's like I'm in. Grosso won a world title doing <laughs> yeah, exactly. it. Like, greatness. Um, I think what we did see though is like I think Lacerda's with his job on the line is acting like he wasn't nearly as crazy as we've seen in some other fights. Maybe he changes that and just goes balls to the wall. But it's like if I was forced to make a play on this fight, I'm thinking Chara's round two. Uh, it's only plus 400 is the best price I see right now, but it's way too early in the week. Other Somebody's going to offer something better than that. And I may scoop just a little sprinkle of it. Uh, moving on down, we've got Christian Rodriguez taking on Cameron Simon. Minus 140 for Rodriguez, plus 120 for Simon. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, so the UFC is basically using Christian Rodriguez as like the barometer of like who is the real prospects because they're giving him these young super prospects. And man, he's been shining every time through. Keep in mind that before he even came to the UFC, he had fought that Sharmbalos uh, Gregorio, knocks him out in the third round. It's a nice performance. Gregorio then wins his next five, including a win over uh, Cameron Smotherman on the Contender Series this season and is now contracted to the UFC. So he, he'd been fighting some pretty decent guys before he even came up. His other win against is uh, Reyes Cortez on Contender Series. He missed weight by like a pound. So even though he won the fight, Dana didn't give him the contract. And again, for the record, Reyes Cortez, J.R. Cortez, is uh, Tracy Cortez's brother. So... You know, like he, he's he's fought a good level of competition and he's 24, I think just just turned 25 years old. All good stuff. So it makes his UFC debut in a month's notice against Jonathan Pierce, who's on a hell of a run right now is a legitimate fighter. And man, he looked really good against Pierce. He's a heavy underdog. For the record, he was a plus 305 underdog to him. Takes the fight on less than a month's notice. Isn't expected to do much. In the early beginnings, it's like, yeah, I mean, he... he JSP comes as advertised, but man, the kid's got excellent cardio. He has an ability to stay in the fight. The longer he stays in the fight, he starts to find his openings and, and make you work. And he wins the third round. It's like an excellent fight for him. I just want to bring up these exact numbers here. Uh, against St. Pierce. He outlands him 26 to 18. He had given up the six takedowns, scored two of his own, uh, threatened with three submission attempts. Again, he's 22 years old at the time. He's making his UFC debut in less than a month's notice. He's taking on a legitimate guy. He's a three-to-one underdog. And he showed everything needed. He ends up losing the decision, but it's a good fight. It's a good fight in which he outstruck the guy and had two takedowns of his own, had submission attempts. At that point, I was like, I'm sold on him. So I bet him against Joshua Weems, and he smokes Weems. Everyone knew that one was coming. And then I did take Paulo Rosas Jr., because I probably bought into some of the hype and like the kid is good. Can't take that away from him. He's good. And in the first round, it looked like we were all geniuses, us Rosas people. First round, he takes down, he takes him down. He takes his back. He's all over him. Christian Rodriguez almost gets caught in a couple of rear naked chokes, but he doesn't, Paul. And when he doesn't, he shows that resilience, man. He just fights his way back into it, gasses him out and beats him over the head. So Solid performance from Christian Rodriguez. I think he's going to make everybody work for it. He's got excellent cardio. He's got solid striking. His grappling is pretty legitimate. And he's excellent at getting out of bad positions, getting out of submissions, not getting knocked out. Still only 25 years old. He's out of Rufus Sport in Milwaukee, which, although we've had our differences in the past, they got a lot of good guys over in Rufus Sport, and he's one of them. So kind of riding the wave. Camera Simon, meanwhile, I like him a lot. 22 years old, he's still very raw. He's still very green. Two fights back, he damn near gets himself disqualified because he just keeps losing points. Like, 
he fights with eye pokes and groin shots and he's wild still but again 22 years old super talented excellent striker solid um you know very fast he's a very fast fighter for sure but he's green and he's learning on the spot and if this thing was to stay a striking battle i think that cameron simon's got more output he's got like the more volume you could see him outworking rodriguez but rodriguez has got high ring iq and i think he works in the takedowns i think he neutralizes him up against the cage i think he baits him out and causes him to make mistakes and counters over the top and i think that he kind of exposes simon in some ways again he's a prospect killer but he himself is a prospect he's 25 years old but he's got a very bright future I think this is a very high-level fight. This is a fight night card that on you know people were like, oh, it's just another fight night card. There's a lot of good fights on this card. There's a lot of good guys that are good and go on to bright futures. This one's one to keep your eye on. Very excellent fight, but I feel like I'm I should have gone with Christian Rodriguez over Rosas. And if I had, he'd been my boy and we'd be ride or die. But it's like now I'm trying to get back on the bandwagon, being like, I'm sorry, baby, come back. You know, showing up on his driveway with like a boom box in the middle of the night with a Trans Am. Like, I'm, I'm trying to get back on it. It's the main thing. And hopefully he can go out there and perform. So I'm also a Simon fan. But again, we got to go with the real prospect. And Rodriguez is just like clean throughout. I think he's going to go out there and, and put on a career best performance. So sign me up for Christian Rodriguez. Yeah, I mean... Round three for Rodriguez versus Rosas. That was where he really took took off. He got a takedown uh, on Rosas and absolutely bullied him, beat him down. Um, the the big question mark in Simon's fights, it's frankly like the the Kozlo fight because that, that was a pretty low level fight. He got He's taken down, beat up. He, he got taken down five times over the course of it. Um, wasn't exactly the greatest look uh, in that spot. And even the uh, Mana Martinez fight, he, he definitely ate some big shots there. Terrence Mitchell fight, I mean, that was a layup for him. So I'm with you. I, I got Christian Rodriguez as uh, just the guy who's maybe just a little bit more ready right now. If they fought in like three, four years, you know, Simon's got plenty of potential. He ain't going anywhere if he loses this fight. But um, I think the body of work that we've seen from Christian Rodriguez is just a little bit more uh a little bit more complete at this stage in the game moving on down we've got tj brown taking on darren elkins minus 180 for brown plus 155 for the damage oh what has my boy darren elkins been up to hasn't been it's been 10 months off he's been uh alternating wins and losses i guess he did get the the dub used his wrestling against Tristan Connolly. Um, is his last win. I mean, he's always in meat grinder, tough fights. Guys as durable as they come. TJ Brown, on the other hand, it's a good wrestler. I mean, this fight, and it's a I kind of talked about it like earlier on, um, you know, with wrestling and stuff like that. When I was talking about Pereira versus Petrosky, it's like one of those spots that's like. I find it's the hardest thing to like know pre like after watching tape, just knowing how styles will clash, how wrestling will clash between two parties. Um, I think the guy who gets takedowns and gets top position between these two guys probably wins. Uh, Darren Elkins is really, really long in the tooth, pretty herky jerky with his striking. It's really, really tough to back him, but he's an underdog. Uh, uh, I'm not com completely sold on either side right now. 
what is your pick between Elkins and Brown? And then I'll, I'll finalize my pick after I hear some of your points. Yeah, honestly, I gotta, I, I almost feel like there's a gun to my head and I gotta go with Darren Elkins. Like Let's I'm forced, go. I'm forced into the situation <laughs> of taking Darren Elkins. And I know that's stupid as this is going to sound. I d- don't even really know if I know how to word it, but essentially Darren Elkins best thing is he finds a way to win when the chips are stacked against him. And TJ Brown's worst thing is he finds a way to lose when the chips are stacked in his favor. It's it's almost like destiny is just going to get this thing done for us with Darren Elkins. So first of all, why not TJ Brown? Because TJ Brown is a far superior striker. If he can just sprawl and brawl Darren Elkins, I mean, yeah, he's going to bust him up. Elkins is a lot slower. They call him the damage, not because of the damage he's putting on his opponents, because of the damage that he's incurring himself so yeah he's a lot slower than he used to be guys will beat him with a punch you see him get rocked which is something again his chin's traditionally been good but it's starting to potentially fall apart there's bad things going his way but brown is he's not able to keep it up for a good 15 minutes he has a fast start but then he tends to fall away if you look at his fights in the ufc jordan griffin cut danny chavez cut kai kamaka cut charles rosa cut shylan nurmbiaki cut Eric Silva, Eric Silva just all in one in the UFC. So give him a few more and then likely cut. Bill Aljeo is actually dope. Bill Aljeo and him have a hell of a first round, but Bill's got a good gas tank. And when Bill just turns up the heat on in the second round, TJ Brown melts as he tends to do. All of those fights we talked about, though, he had given up two takedowns to Dylan Lockhart in the contender series. He gave up four to Danny Chavez. He gave up one to Kai Kamaka. Now their guys are strikers. He gave up three to Shailen Numbriake. He gave up three to Eric Silva and gave up one to Bill Aljeo. Do you not think, do you not think it's possible that Darren Elkins goes out there and takes him down? Mm, I'm thinking it's possible. Elkins has got that grind, dude. He's a coach at Alpha Male now. He's in a room with a lot of young, explosive, called wrestlers, and he grinds on them. It's his style. Brown is more athletic and he's faster. Thing is, is he doesn't really handle the grind all that well. So you got the tale of two guys. One guy seems to have the better skills and stats at this point, but the longer this thing goes, he's going to take him down to his level and then below his level and just hopefully grab a rear naked choke or just maul him second in the third round. And uh, I got Elkins. He's the underdog. I think Elkins after the first round, if he's still alive and uh, you can start to see the tide changing, then you can get a good live price on him. But yeah, does he have a whole lot of wins left in him? Probably not. But I look at the fact that Brown has fought all these guys that are no longer in the roster, whereas, you know, Elkins has been in there with the who's who's. He's fought really good guys. The fight with Nate Landwehr was a war. He went 15 minutes. He landed 121 significant strikes and a takedown on Nate. Nate is a former track and field star. Nate's got 10-round cardio. Nate is a junkyard dog. Brown is none of those things. If it's not going to go a hard 15 like that, he will have a good five. He might have a good six or seven, but then Elkins is going to take over. So I'm having a look from a live bet perspective and greasy underdogs are going to cash every week. Elkins has made a career out of it. I think he's got one more left in him. I love to hear it. I love to hear it. There, no, no doubt which my, which side I'm on now that, uh, that Cody is picking the damage. I was scared to pick the damage, but, uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit closer, and I can I can trust Darren is going to go out there, and unless unless you know the ref steps in in a situation and kind of stops a fight, 
Darren Elkins will literally fight until he's damn near dead out there. We can't say the same thing about Brown. Is is Brown maybe the low, the more talented, the faster guy at this stage in his career? Yeah, but like Darren Elkins has always given up those skill sets or those those uh, advantages in pretty much all of his fights, and the guy's got tons of wins. Um, just literally leaning on toughness, grind, grit, and uh, and cardio. So. Dial one up for the damage. All right, moving on down. We've got Tynera Lisboa taking on Ravena Oliveira. Lisboa minus 320 favorite. Oliveira can be had for plus 270. I took Lisboa as a minus or as a decent size underdog in her UFC debut. She came through. It was a nice little spot. This number, uh, I mean, I, I'll admit, I don't know really anything about Ravena. Oliveira, maybe you can tell me about that, but uh, minus three twenty for Lisboa, like it's not like she did. She did. She did well. I think there's some potential moving forward for her, but it's not exactly like her UFC debut was a damn masterpiece. So, um, what what are your thoughts here? Yeah, honestly, this one looks like it's Lisboa all day and night, and I'm going to be playing her. The the problem is, is Pat May would be the first one to tell you. You're you're betting on a fight where they're both making their debuts, women's MMA, which is you know very unpredictable. Uh, there's not a whole lot of footage readily available, like Ravena Oliveira. There's not a whole lot you can watch, but that little bit that you can watch is only like a year, year and a half old. It don't look like she's got it, Paul. Like, I don't know how you make drastic improvements in that short of time, but I, I, I'm, I'm thinking she's outgunned here. Lisboa is a far better striker. Lisboa is better on the ground. She's a former kickboxing champion. If this thing stays standing, I think Lisboa just picks her apart, right? So now the option for Ravena is do something you're not really known for, but force the issue. Come forward. Try to get that takedown, right? Jesse Jess Rose Clark, for all the faults that she has, she's very physical, and she's looking to grapple. She was not able to do it. In fact, Liz Boa's grappling looked legit, and she ends up choking her out with the third round rear naked choke. That, to me, is a tougher fight than she's presented with here, and she can win this fight no matter where it takes place. So it's three to one, and I don't love that, but like I actually like that a lot more than I like two to one Michelle Pereira and like some ridiculous, you know, there's a couple bad money lines on this that I can't get behind. This one, it, it, it's greasy, it's super greasy. But if you're going to do the tape study and you're going to look at it, what is the path of victory for Ravena? Other than she's made some drastic amount of changes since the last time you've seen her, which although is possible, especially with Brazilian fighters, I just think Lisboa is better everywhere. So has to be the pick. Yeah, it seems like Lisboa, looking through her topology, is like really leaned on like first round knockouts of people with no experience. So that, what, seven, one and one record that she's got? I mean, we're looking through it here right now. The most experience was her last fight out against someone named Simone Da Silva, who was eight and five coming into it. Other than that, all of the other fights, fighters that she fought were making their debut or were like one and one, oh and one. There's like five, six people that she fought. With. Yeah, we, she's fought absolutely nobody. At least we know what we're getting with Lisboa, and it's a great kickboxer with. A lot of other well-rounded skill sets. Lisboa will be the pick for me. Um, maybe we can find a way to uh, to improve a minus 320. I mean, she'll be in your parlay. She'll probably be pretty high up in your parlay. She did look good against Jesse Jess. Like, it was never really close. And it, that was one of those things, too. It's like, 
I took Lisboa early in the week at like plus 150. I was just like, well, I don't know much about Lisboa, but she's taking on Jesse Jess. And uh, by fight time, like that line flipped. So like it flipped from like plus 150, plus 160 to um, like her going off at like minus 130 by fight time. And I mean, she ended up going out there and looked like minus 500. Like she dominated, you know, from the opening bell. It was pretty easy sliding for Tynera. Lisboa there. Yeah, Lisboa. Lisboa inside the distance may actually be the play here. Yeah, right? I don't I don't I don't mind it. Because honestly, when you look at Lisboa and this was the problem for the Jesse Jess fight. It was like, well, what do we really know about her? She's been fighting predominantly cans, but this is a girl that was in a fought in lion fights against Valentina Shevchenko. Went the distance with Shevchenko in a Muay Thai match, and then she'd lost a big Norm Norma Dumont. Both of her pro MMA losses are at 145 pounds. She's undefeated at 135, and I think she's got a 100% finish rate. So, yeah, 100% finish rate. So, I'm thinking inside the distance as well. Now, again, Which you're is taking a juicy. shot in the dark. Still juicy, but... Yeah, you're taking mine... a shot in the dark that Ravenna Oliveira is not that good and hasn't yeah. made any improvements, but this is MMA betting. You're going to have to take a few shots here and there, and of course. I, I think this is a, this is a Lisboa... Not it's never a walk in the park, but like this, this favors her, favors her for sure. All right, moving on down, we've got Terrence McKinney taking on Brendan Marat, minus five twenty five for McKinney, plus four hundred for Marat. There's no props available yet for this fight. They obviously whipped this together pretty quick, slapped it onto the card, which makes the card considerably more in, uh, entertaining, impressive, all of that type of stuff. I believe McKinney was supposed to fight in like a couple weeks and then his opponent pulled out and he's just like, I'll just fight next week. Just give me a can. And they, uh, they brought in Marat to do, to do the job. Um, I love McKinney fights. They're super, super fun. I don't know too much about Brendan Marat. Not going to lie, but any McKinney fight, I'll, I'll be looking, I'll be looking unless you tell me otherwise, I'll be looking to see what happened, like what type of price is available on McKinney's opponent round two because it just seems like if McKinney doesn't get you out of there earlier or early and and God knows he puts it on you real real hard real early but if you're able to survive he typically doesn't have much left in the tank I, I mean I'll pick Terrence McKinney to get the job done here but uh I mean the value is the value is probably gonna be on McKinney round one or Marat round two. Like that's probably the way I bet those will probably be the, the value numbers. And frankly, McKinney round one will, based on him being a minus 550 favorite, will probably be like minus 250, minus 300. So I don't even know if there's really much meat on the bone there at that point. Uh, how bad is this Marat guy? Does he have cardio? Does he have any sort of durability issues we should be concerned about here can he survive to round two can he tire mckinney out because you know how my brain works cody i'm always looking for the the plus money pooches and mckinney presents opportunities uh like no other guy in the promotion um if you can get through the first five you have a really really good chance generally unless you're missing like a limb or something is brennan brennan marat missing a limb no, no. If you're going to approach the Brendan Marat side of things, I think you let him fight out the first round because other he's going to get smashed in the first round and lose in the first round. You don't have to worry about it. Bet was not placed. If he was able to survive the first round, you're going to get a much better plus money tag than you'll get right now. 
And I think that's where he starts to become live if he can make it that far. But I have my doubts that he can make it that far. The problem with this fight, very similar to the last one with Ravenna Oliveira, is that there's no tape. There's no tape. Okay. Marat's last fight that you can watch is Dan Dubuk from 2020, January of 2020, which in which is what it is oh, just about four years ago. Four years ago is the last time you can really watch this guy. The other two, he fought a three and one guy and he fought an 11 and 20 guy. Nah, I can't find it. I could pull some favors and try to find it, but I just don't care enough to. It's a throwaway fight on a fight night card. There's 50 events a year. Am I going to really call in a favor to see what this guy looked like in his last two? No, but that's just lazy on my part. And I'm thinking most cappers haven't seen his last two fights anyways themselves. So we're just, we're taking a shot in the dark on this one that he's probably as good as he was in the Dubuque fight, if not slightly better. So in that fight, he wins a split decision over a regional type guy who never really amounted to the higher level. But Paul, he getting hit a lot, dude. He has got a shaky defense, definitely gets hit a lot. The thing with these New England cartel guys, a lot of these East Coast guys from, you know, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, they all get together. They are tough sons of bitches. They can take the beating, but they do generally allow their opponents to get a whole lot of shots off. Now, you've seen the best of the best, Calvin Cater and Rob Font. These guys are fine technicians. Both of them tend to get hit a lot, but they're fine technicians. There's the other side of it, which is like the Chris Moutinho types, who they're, they're tough, but they're going to get hit. And so where I can see him getting by on toughness against a lot of guys, McKinney is not the kind of guy you want to get hit by. No. And I, I learned that one in the last fight. Because even though I want to fade McKinney, and there's tons of reason to fade McKinney, you can't you can't reach. You can't overreach. So I took Mike Breeden. Why do you take Mike Breeden? No other reason than if Breeden can last the first round, he's shown decent cardio. He's shown in the little bit of luck that he has had, the little success that he has had, is generally second in the third round coming through. McKinney swarms him. He avoids a lot of those early shots, but you can't avoid them all. And when McKinney hits you, it's like, oh, God damn. Now it's what he does, and he realizes that. He's tried to fight conservative. It don't work. He needs to fight balls with the walls, and when he does, that's him at his best. So he was supposed to fight Chris Duncan on this card. Chris Duncan had a visa issue, and in comes a guy who would probably be a plus 200 underdog on a contender series fight, who has no viewable tape from the last almost four years, who's coming off a win over a guy who's 11-22, and 22, and he's going to jump in there in the UFC against Terrence McKinney. Good luck, pal. It's not impossible. Latana Chabuzzi won a fight with virtually nothing going his way. It's possible. Anything's possible. It's just not likely. So McKinney, McKinney all day. And if this guy managed to just be that New England strong and took that first round beating, I would be tempted to see what that plus money price tag is on him. I'm not seeing him get that far personally. So it's going to be a tough day at the office because he, he seems very hittable. Three years off, four years off. Maybe he's gotten very, very good. Maybe very, very good. But the fact that he hasn't competed, or at least not competed in any notable organization against any notable opponent, means he's either banged up or he's not full-timing it, right? This is a dream jumping into the UFC. Who cares if Terrence McKinney knocks me out? I still got a three fights left on my UFC deal. Of course you're going to jump in and take the opportunity. And the New England cartel, Tyson Chartier, excellent team, excellent coaching, excellent training partners. I'm sure he's gotten his ass kicked many times in the gym. This is no big deal. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pull off the Cinderella story and win. I don't see it going well for him. So McKinney's the pick, but McKinney's the kind of guy that you still don't put on the top ticket. You think he's going to win second ticket, but could you really trust him? 
He's not the most trustworthy guy, but I think this is a very favorable spot for him. All right, moving on down, we've got Melissa Dixon taking on Irina Alexeva. Uh, Melissa Dixon, a minus 150 favorite. Uh, Alexeva can be had for plus 130. What are your thoughts here, buddy? Yeah, we won't have to spend a whole lot of time here. They they seem no. relatively same level. They both come from uh, grappling backgrounds, and they're strong grapplers. They're big girls for the weight class. Alexeva, they call her Russian Ronda. Um, and Melissa Dixon, she's a former amateur standout, had about nine or ten amateur fights, and then competed at IMAP, competed against some good girls, undefeated as a pro now. But bottom line is both of them are at their best grappling, but they just like slugging it out and throwing down. And I think in that, Melissa Dixon's had a lot more success. She's 32, so she's a lot more polished and seasoned than the average debuting UFC fighter. She's also had the nine or ten amateur fights, so she's a lot more seasoned and polished than your average fighter. From those five wins, she does show two notable wins. Rizlan Zuak is a, a very high-level judo black belt, very good judica. And in that fight, again, she stuffed all the takedowns. Her takedown defense looked cast iron, big and strong for the weight class. The next fight against this Daria, I can't even pronounce it, Zella Zenyakova. That girl was supposed to fight on this card as well, ended up getting pulled out. She's 7-0, undefeated. Again, just got signed to the UFC in her own. And is winning the fight early and is slapping Melissa Dixon around. And Melissa Dixon just perseveres, keeps with it, keeps chugging along, gets the takedown, gets on top, ground and pound finish. Beats an undefeated fighter, signs to the UFC, all good stuff. Irina Alexeva, 5-1 record. That one loss, Lilia Kezak, unable to get her to the ground, kind of struggles a lot with the grappling exchanges. Uh, the Stephanie Egger fight was her UFC debut. She misses weight, and then she hits a rolling knee bar. Now, that was dope. And Egger, for the record, judo black belt, pretty decent submissions, big girl for the weight class. This is going to be one of them greasy fights. I think she could land something flash. The thing is, is I got to go with substance more than flash. Flash is a lexiva. She could land that 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 quick right hand, maybe stun her the same way that you saw Melissa Dixon get hurt briefly in her last fight against Daria. Maybe land that quick shot. Maybe she lands that quick rolling knee bar. If this thing extends and it goes three, four, five minutes, it gets into the second round, maybe Dixon all day. She gets the takedown. She ends up on top. Going to be a problem. So uh, Melissa Dixon, maybe better live betting spot, especially if she drops the first. But the straight-up pick pre-show, I'm going to go with Melissa Dixon. I will side with you on Melissa Dixon there. I mean, Alex Siva was pretty surprising coming in. We didn't really know what to expect from her. There wasn't very much tape whatsoever when she made her debut. But getting that first-round knee bar against Edgar is pretty impressive as a uh, as a first-time uh, opponent. But what isn't impressive is showing up coming in four pounds over the contracted weight and then showing back up for another fight at bantamweight. Um, I mean, if you're going to bet Alex Eva, I mean, I guess the her making weight doesn't really matter, but it's just kind of interesting that she missed so badly um, in her UFC debut and it really didn't matter. They booked her again for the same damn weight class. Um, I'll, I'll side with you with Dixon. Um, just having a little bit more well-rounded skill set, but you know, the arm bar from guard or knee bar, any sort of submissions probably on the table here for Alex Siva. Moving on down, we've got Chris Gutierrez taking on Alatang Heli. Minus 370 for Alat or for Chris Gutierrez. Alatang Heli can be had for plus 370. Um 
is a really strange, strange, strange matchup. Like Gutierrez has been fighting guys, you know, upper echelon guys in the UFC, you know, finishing off Frankie, uh, Frankie Edgar, taking on uh, Pedro Munoz and like, you know, being relatively competitive in those exchanges. Um, it's a very, very strange fight that, I feel like they were just trying to fill this card. They needed guys. Guys wanted fights before the end of the year because in terms of where these guys are, in terms of climbing the ranks and stuff, frankly, Cody, you know, Gutierrez has proven that's like he can fight in the top 15 fringe kind of guys. And Alatang Hili, even though he's, you know, coming off of two straight wins, Kevin Kroom, Chad Engelinger, it's like, He's fighting like entry level guys in the UFC. It doesn't really make any sense. This line actually, when I made the boards versus us actually recording, moved over a hundred points. So people absolutely smashed the Gutierrez side. And until we see more from Alatang Heli, I, I can't really fault people for backing the the much more proven commodity in Chris Gutierrez. So he'll be my pick. Does he win 80, 85% of the time? Yeah, it's probably probably around there and it's probably pretty close i don't know if there's much meat on the bone as we approach minus 500 but uh he'll be the pick at the very least what's your take here yeah i got chris gutierrez i think everybody's got chris gutierrez it's the price man he's not a minus 300 kind of guy against against anybody right he fights to his opponent's level supremely talented you give him a good guy he'll fight at a high level you give him a low level guy Finds out a pretty low level, Paul. The other thing with him is that he backs up far too much and gets dog walked far too much. If you look at where he struggles traditionally, last fight, Pedro Munoz, for the most part, just kept coming forward, right? Yeah, he landed, he outlanded him 77 to 60, and he lost 30 27s across the board because he's backing up, landing quick little leg kicks, quick little jabs, and he's getting dog walked by opponents that are aggressive. Three fights back, Dana Backerel. Dana Backerel gave him a hell of a go, dude. Rewatch that fight. First round, he's in it. Second round, he's boxing him up. And then he gets clipped with a spinning back. It's like, it's going to happen. But like Backerel's moving forward. He's giving him trouble. Felipe Calares. He outstruck Felipe Calares 96 to 41. And yet it was a split decision because the judges didn't like that style. His fight with Gerildo DeFreitas, he won a split decision of striking 48 to 40 because the judges didn't really favor that kind of style. He lost his fights to Cody Durden because of the takedown defense. He gave up a takedown to Dana Baccarel, one to Felipe Cloras, one to Andre Ewell, two to Cody Durden. He gave up two to Geraldo de Freitas. And of course, Rowney Barcelos is a pretty dope wrestler, so don't even have to count that one. What I'm getting at, though, is he's rocking a 74% takedown defense. He's been taken down by a lot of lower-level guys. And he does not deal well with guys that are frontward pressure forward fighters. And Haile Alatang, for all of his faults, He's, he's actually got a lot of that going forward. He's fairly cast iron to take a decent shot. He loves just coming forward and slinging that right-hand bomb. And his takedowns ain't too bad. He can mix those in. He is not this level of an underdog. Yes, he's the underdog. No doubt about that. But minus 300, Chris Gutierrez, who seems gun-shy, doesn't got a ton of power unless you're Frankie Edgar in your retirement fight. He, he kind of just point fights, goes tit for tat. And those guys are going to get robbery decisions against them. They're going to fight in closer fights than need be. They're not going to look like minus 300 favorites. That's all I'm getting at. So why pick them? Why pick them? Why not Why not grow some cojones and go the other side? Like It's volume. It's 100% volume. Haile Alatang's fights show almost always 15 minutes, but 36 land against Baccarel, 47 against Ryan Bunoy, 46 against Casey Kinney, 36 against Gustavo Lopez. 
uh, and 49 against Chad and Ledger, his last fight. 49 is, is actually his career high. Gutierrez doubles that up on a bad day. So how bad could the judges be, right? But three to one, dude. I do not it's like more it. than that. It's more yeah, than that. Now, now it's probably climbing. I got it at three to one. I didn't like when it. When I made the board, it was minus four seventy. When I made the board, it was minus four seventy. When I look at um one of the sharper books, um, right? It's minus four thirty-five. So everybody's on the same page, but keep in mind that as it continues to grow and it just becomes public support, it gets like Grant Dawson, right? Grant Dawson, we agreed that he should have been the favorite. And I think a lot of people agree he should have been the favorite, but at three to one is kind of the max. And then late money comes on. And as people lose parlays and as people lose prop bets, and as they kind of get desperate as the night goes, they shift towards those big favorites a lot of time. And he just, he grows to like a minus 500, a minus 550 and, is he still getting co- coached by James Krause? Because that was a James Krause game plan. Wow. If you know what I'm saying, I'm kidding. It, it was just so fast. The first, yeah, the first punch that lands, Bobby Green, switch stance, shifty little right hand, puts him over. Slick Bobby work type Green, but Bobby Green's not a power puncher. He's I don't even want to talk about it. Shit happens. What I'm saying is, yeah, it's a fight. People tend to favor those big favorites, and I almost feel like Chris Gutierrez is a case of it. He's not looked ultra impressive yeah okay he knocked out frank kicker sure he's not looked ultra impressive in pretty much any of his fights very close very competitive doesn't deal well with frontwards pressure probably gives up a few takedowns just doesn't bode well for a minus 500 type of money line right but what can you do man what can you do yeah i backed bobby green on saturday last week plus 395 but i did not think it was gonna be that easy i mean i actually i bet him on the money line uh uh, plus 395 and then i also bet him by decision which was never close um still profited on the fight obviously but and profited quite a bit on the fight but yeah no it was, it was crazy things as i always say cody crazy things happen when you bet on people stripped down to their underwear fighting in a cage for money all right moving on down for the you know the curtain jerker we've got emily to cody taking on Ashley Yoder minus 350 for uh Emily Decody. Yoder can be had for plus 275. Are you engaging on the uh on the uh the Pat Mayo uh model here? The the CF dot model? Because here's the struggle that I would get. You know me. I I I believe in the CF dot model, and this number would suggest you should do it, but Emily Decody has been fighting a, definitely a higher level of competition. Her last two, uh, last most of her fights in the UFC at the very least. Penne Hill, Lupito Godinez, and she's going to decision having close fights with top 15-ish, top 10-ish type of opponents. Whereas Yoder, six, to have success in any sort of fight, she's got to lean on the wrestling, but... Dakota's got like this wrestling background, and I think Dakota's got the better striking. All I'm saying is, yeah, I won't be taking a play on Ashley Yoder, um, even though it's it's tempting just from a numbers standpoint. But I think it's a terrible, terrible matchup for Yoder, and more of a situation where they're trying to get Emily Dakota back on track here, finding an opponent that's not going to cause you too many problems on the feet. Um, and if you can just stuff takedowns from Yoder, you you win a pretty convincing decision here. So Dakota, I think, cruises to a pretty easy decision victory uh, over Ashley Yoder. What's your take? 
Yeah, I'm going to completely agree. Uh, if there was more on Ashley Yoder, women's MMA, big plus money, like maybe you take that tempting shot, but that honestly just not not very big on her. So she's a go-getter. She's willing to fight. She's got a good chin. She's former uh, Dan Henderson's camp in Temecula, California for a long time. But man, the wrestling is not there. The striking is not good. It's never been good. She's got some okay submissions. Thing is, is that it's very hard to catch somebody in a submission if you can't take them down, and the wrestling is not there. So what ends up happening is she'll shoot takedowns. They'll get stuffed. She'll be forced to exchange. She gets clobbered. She generally takes a fair good bit of damage and then loses the rounds. The wins that she does have in the UFC, because for her record, her UFC record is 3-7. and seven. She's the only 50-50 fighter, I think, that's fought this year. Who else has got a 50-50 record in the UFC? Like, you got to have a few more wins than you got losses. Come on, she's 8-8. Eight and eight. She's 3-7 and seven in the UFC of that 8-8. Eight and eight. So it's not been good, man. Those wins, Randa Granger, Siri Kondo, Manda Cooper, all girls that were just never a factor. So I like that she's got resilience and she'll take a shot. She can take one hell of a shot. She keeps with it. She fights to the end. But she's coming back on like a two-year-long layoff. She's 35 years old. Did I mention she was 3-7 and seven in the UFC? And she's lost her last two fights. None of that's good. Emily Ducote, meanwhile, has got a lot of good things going for her. She wrestled in college. She's a solid wrestler for the division. She's a BJJ black belt under Rafael Lovato Jr. She's one of the best guys to actually do it. Her boxing is tight and it's technical. Her last fight with Lupita Godinez was an absolute barn burner. Godinez beats her, but she's very competitive with her. Godinez has been making a really solid run right now of outboxing her opponents and taking them down. Takes them down a ton. She managed one single takedown on Emily Ducote, and she got 13 seconds of top control before Ducote got back up. If you look at the striking numbers in that fight, because it's a war, dude. I, I I recommend you go back and watch it. Very fun fight to watch. She gets outstruck 49 to 34 in the first round. Bad first round. Bad first round. Second round, it's 43 to 43. Third round, she gets outstruck 40 to 35. Kept it competitive. Threw 270 significant strikes and landed 112 of them. Cardio can go. Wrestling can go. BJJ Black Belt. Solid boxing. This is another one of those scenarios where like I have no idea how Yodder wins this fight. How does she win this fight? She would need the takedown, which is not going to happen. If she got the fight to the ground, she's actually going to get out grappled. Out grappled, like you could get some top control, but passing guard's not going to happen. Submissions aren't going to happen. She's probably just going to pounce back up. And when they are standing, big, big difference. So we're going to go, we're going to go fairly okay here on Emily Ducote. But, you know, women's MMA, so you got to just keep that in mind. Anything can happen. But, like, I think Ducote's got her number by a fair bit. And Yodder is probably on her last fight of her deal. They're not going to let her go three and eight, three fight losing streak, 35 years old, hasn't fought in two years. This is probably it for her. But she's a gamer. And she took a tough fight. But this is the UFC shedding the roster, I think. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, eight and eight. She's been in there for with a lot of, you know, tough opponents, but what she one, has, yeah. But does one be- in one in four in her last five, like she'll be one in five in her last six, unless she's like, you know, female Sam Alvey and she knows where the bodies are buried, which is possible. Um, if she loses this fight, it's probably walking papers for her. Um, bets that I have made. I've got Darren Elkins plus 160, Edson Barbosa plus 142. Um, a Lisboa inside the distance. I'll, I'll wait to see if like other shops open up a little bit better than the minus one thirty, but I'll probably end up on that. Um, and then I'm interested. I'm always interested in price shopping for McKinney fights and seeing 
you know, what type of difference we've got between round, round one, round two. So that'll definitely be on the list. And maybe I'll get to like a, some sort of Chares prop too. Cause I feel like we already saw it. It's just like Lacerda's. I just don't think there's very many wins for Lacerda here. So I'll have to f- figure out a prop there. It'd probably be more of an inside the distance. Cause I don't know if he's just going to submit them both times back to back. And a lot of action has came in on that side, but hit him with the PRP code. Okay, we got four dogs in 12 fights, I think, and a couple of even money fights. But we got Edson Barbosa, dog number one. We're going to go with Vivio Arroyo. We're going to go with Jonathan Martinez. We're going to go with Michelle Pereira, Edgar Chárez, Christian Rodriguez, Darren Elkins, dog number two, Tanera Lisboa, Terrence McKinney, Melissa Dixon, Chris Gutierrez, and Emily Ducote. I thought I had another. I missed some line here, I'm sure. Anyways, we got Elkins, Barbosa. Who's the other underdog? I guess I'll just bring. What other underdog did you pick? Vivi Arroyo is the underdog. So Vivi, yeah, yeah. Vivi. John and the Martinez is about an even money pick, and mm-hmm. that's about it. Yeah. Okay, so maybe it's just the three underdogs. Three underdogs. It's only twelve fights. Yeah. Yeah. Twelve fights. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. The number really doesn't matter. The main thing is. Hopefully those underdogs come through. Hope those even money picks come through. And hopefully those goddamn favorites come through because that's (laughs) where the apple pie shitter has been. But anyways, I got to jet out of here. Thanks as always, Paul, my man. And yeah, hopefully we can uh, shake off the rust and make it a profitable one. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Safdick, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.